You are listening to the New Vision Church Podcast, a community to belong, be loved, and believe. You are being held hostage, and you don't even know it. But we can free our minds, we can find peace, the kind of peace only available in Jesus Christ. Well, good morning, church family. Uh, We want to welcome you here today with us. Um, And uh, first off, I want to introduce myself. Uh, My name is Rick Ford. I'm one of the elders here at the church. I also serve as a role as associate pastor as well, assisting Pastor George. I know we, uh, we've we seen a lot of new faces, and there may be some people that don't know who I am, so I just wanted to take that time to introduce myself, and uh, thank you for being here with us. So um, as we continue this series on uh, hostage and the things that keep us hostage, uh, before we get into that, um, I would like to take a moment and pray. So if you'd bow your heads and pray with me. Father, we come before you now, and Lord, we just thank you so much for your divine grace, your divine glory. And Lord, we just thank you for each and every person that's watching today. Lord, I ask for a hedge of protection around each and every one of them. Lord, I ask that everything that be spoken of today be of you and about you. Lord, I pray that your spirit comes through anything that I have to say today. And Lord, as always, my prayer is to get out of the way and let you speak through me. So Lord, as we go into this message today, Let your words be spoken, and let your spirit shine through. And we ask all these things in the precious name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So as I said, uh, we're continuing on with our series about hostage and the things that that keep us hostage, and the things that hold us down. And the first two uh, sermons that Pastor George has delivered, um, he and I were talking about it, and... um, it's kind of we we kind of had a, a a laugh about it that um, we're going to treat this like his his first two messages were like theory, and today is the practical application. <clears throat> um, because what we're going to do today is um, I'm going to give my personal testimony, and talk about the experiences that I've had in my life, and we're going to talk about how God has taken me through these things. And they are some things that um, have really spoken with me uh, as far as the last two messages about how even in our darkest times and even in when we struggle the most, God is still there with us. And I just wanted to share my personal story. And I I would like to caution everybody that um, a lot of times when people give their testimony, that it turns into the... um, the, the best term I think I've ever heard is the Depression Olympics, about who can, say, who, can, who can be the most depressed. And it is not my goal here to do that. All I'm here to do is talk about the things that I've been through personally and the things that God has taken me through personally. And I've always lived by the mantra that I've had it better than some, but I've had it worse than others. And this is just my story and about how God has affected me And I just hope that what I talk about and how God has brought me through the things in my life can be an encouragement to any of you that may be going through something similar. So um, I'm not here to to say that my situation is any better or worse than anybody's. It's just my situation. And I know that everybody has their own. And uh, don't let someone else's story diminish what your story is. So... Like I said, I'm going to be talking about my testimony. And 
uh, I've shared my testimony uh, in a limited fashion with the church at, at different times, but um, I'm, I'm going to kind of go all the way back and talk about where exactly I came from and how I wound up being where I'm here today sitting in front of you. Um, I'm from a very small town in Mississippi, and I, uh, my, that's where my uh, wife and I are both from. We're from Mississippi, and all of our family is still there. Uh, there may be some of those that are watching today, so uh, hi, Mom. <laughs> um, but um, I'm going to try to keep this upbeat because if not, I, uh, I, I may tear up on you, and that's not something I think anybody wants to see. So um, my childhood was kind of jaded. Um, I grew up in a, in a household that was um, full of domestic violence. Um, that was commonplace for us. And I don't say that to, to place blame or anything on anybody. Uh, that's just the way things were. That's just how they were. And uh, one thing that I, I, I want to caution people to do is that you cannot look at the past through the lens of the present. You have to look at what happened back then was what happened back then and move on with it. Um, so that, you know, that was, that was my life growing up. I didn't have the worst childhood in the world, but I had a childhood that was, that was filled with uh, a lot of violence, a lot of drinking, and, um, and it, it, was, it was difficult for a young man to grow up. Um, more so in my case that um, uh, also as a child, I was uh, molested by a neighbor. Um, and uh, no one in my family actually knew about it because I kind of kept that bottled up inside of me um, until just probably about 10 years ago. <clears throat> and uh, that was something that no one ever knew about. And um, especially as a male, that's, that's a hard stigma to overcome. It's a, it's a hard thing to live through, and it's a hard thing to grow up with. Because uh, you grow up feeling less of a man, you grow up feeling less of a human uh, when, when someone has taken advantage of you that way. Um, because, of the, because of the continued violence in, in our home, when I was 13, I had to leave home. Um, I, had to, I had to move out and I had to move in with my grandmother. And uh, I, I lived with my grandmother and I grew up with her um, until I was 17 years old and I joined the Army and uh, moved off. That was a, a, a new phase in my life. I actually joined the Army when I was 17. Uh, I believe I turned 18 in basic training. <clears throat> and uh, that's kind of where uh, my, my childhood ended. I, I, like I said, I joined the military, and uh, I was— 18 when I when I graduated basic training I shipped off to Germany and I was a, a young hothead in Germany and I learned how to drink professionally um, everybody knows that you know Germans make good beer and I made the most of it <laughs> I I tried my level best to drink all the beer that Germany could make and um, it was not the the most shining time of my life, I don't think. Uh, but through all of this, um, I, uh, I, I married my 
my high school sweetheart, which is uh, Jimmy. She's my wife today. Uh, she and I have been married uh, 33 years now, I believe. And um, when we were 19 years old, we got married. We, uh, we had our first son when we were had just turned 20. Um, and our second son joined us five years later. Uh, so we were a very, very young couple. And um, we were doing a lot to figure out how to do everything on our own because we were literally half the world away from all of our family and everybody that, that we knew. And um, we had to rely on each other a lot. And uh, so that was, uh, a, I don't want to say it was a, a hard struggle because that makes it sound bad. It was a struggle, but I feel it was something that was necessary that helped strengthen our marriage into what it is today. Um, so uh, that that's just kind of looking ahead just a little bit, but um, circling back, um, we when we were in Germany, <coughs> um, Jimmy had some complications from uh, from childbirth of my first son, and she had to come back to the States and have some surgery done. Well, I was only supposed to be in country uh, another six months, and then I was going to be rotating back to the States uh, to my new duty station. So uh, we decided that the best thing for her to do was to go home with her mom and dad and, and, and my son, and um, I was going to join them you know, when I rotated back because there was no need to, to bring her all the way back to Germany just to turn right back around and go back. Well, that was about the time that uh, Mr. Saddam Hussein invaded a neighboring country, and I got put on what's called stop loss. Uh, that means that um, my movement, uh, my deployments were um, frozen. I couldn't come back to the States, and um, my unit was geared up and uh, eventually deployed to the Middle East for Desert Shield and Desert Storm. <clears throat> so um, just to kind of forward a little bit, um, when that happened, um, my oldest son, uh, Richard Jr., uh, was six months old, and that was the last time I saw him until he was two years old. Um, so for 18 months, I never laid eyes on my firstborn son. Uh, that, was a, that was a hard thing for me because uh, I place a very, very high value on my family. Um, my wife and my children are very important and special to me. And that was a hard thing to go through, especially for a new father. Well, uh, keep in mind that when I was deployed to, to the Middle East during Desert Storm, uh, there were no smartphones. There was no communication other than snail mail. That was it. There was no anything. Uh, I think the only time that I uh, was able to speak with my wife in the two years, almost two years I was gone, was um, I, uh, I was able to repair a satellite link-up truck uh, for one of the command units. And because I was able to repair it, uh, they were able to give me um, five minutes on the phone to talk with my wife by satellite link-up. Uh, and that was a, the shortest five minutes of my life, I do believe. Um, but it was, it's weird looking back on it that I'm sitting, uh, sitting in the middle of a desert looking out at a burning oil field that's probably, you know, six miles by six miles wide. 
um, talking to my wife half the world away, um, trying to get some information on my new son. And uh, that was that was very hard to deal with. Um, mail when it came because everything was moving so quickly with units moving around. Um, uh, I didn't get mail for months on end. And uh, so the communication between she and I was uh, sparse at best. So um, that was a very, very difficult time for me personally. <clears throat> and the the time that I spent in in country because I was like I said I was in country for uh, a little over 18 months um, I was in a, I, the units that I was in I, I was in maintenance and it sounds like well you're in maintenance you're fine you're okay you're not going to be up front well I was what's on what's called a contact team uh, that means that we were a squad size unit that moved, lived, and did everything with the combat units we were assigned to. So my squad literally moved with the combat units that we were assigned to. Um, and when I got in country, I was 20 years old, not even 21 yet. <clears throat> and my squad leader, three days after in country, my squad leader got called, his wife, um, was facing terminal cancer and he got called back and out of the blue they put me in charge of my squad so here i am a 20 year old kid um and i say kid um i, I at, by then i'd had a lot of life experience but i'm now in charge of six or seven I, I, no i'm sorry it was seven or eight men that were in my squad and I'm now responsible for their lives. Um, we're literally going into a shooting conflict and um, the decisions that I make um, affect these men's lives. And that's a scary thing for, for a kid. And the second day of the ground war, a massive sandstorm blew up <coughs> that it blanketed half of the country almost. Well, our, our units were in convoy at the time, and we were, it, I mean, it, we're in a sandstorm. It's the middle of the day in the desert, and I could barely make out the vehicle that was 20 yards in front of me. And as we're convoying, all of a sudden I see vehicles coming back past me at a, at a pretty fast clip going the opposite way. And finally, the vehicle in front of me turned around, and I got word that somehow our unit had driven directly into the Republican Guard, which is Saddam Hussein's elite fighting forces. <clears throat> that was the scaredest I've ever been in my life. Um, because here I am driving along in the middle of a sandstorm just trying to not hit the truck in front of me. And the next thing I know, we've got bullets and rockets flying everywhere. Um, we circled the wagons up and 
it was a it was a long day going forward. Um, it took the better part of the day um, because of the weather, because of the conditions, and it was it was a long day. Um, by the grace of God, I didn't lose any of my men. Um, we lost some vehicles to to rocket rocket propelled grenades. Um, had some injuries with shrapnel, uh, but we didn't lose any of my men. Um, but on the flip side of it, uh, the group that we ran into, they didn't make it. I know it's combat. I know these things happen. Uh, but to be a part of so much loss of life is, is hard. <clears throat> and... That's a, uh, that's a struggle that I deal with today. Um, a couple of days after that, we were finally positioned in an area. And um, I didn't know it at the time, but we, uh, we had staged up. And for some reason, um, a, I'm, and I and I say I, I say it this way: there was a crap ton of Apache and Cobra helicopters that had formed a perimeter around us, and um, everything was quite hush hush. Um, I kind of had an idea that something was up because I uh, uh, I worked on command vehicles and I knew that I was seeing some flight plans and I knew something big was coming up. Um, what I found out later on was that we were actually one of the staging points for what's now called Death Highway. Um, and after the aftermath is something that we wound up having to drive through. And <clears throat> that was That was another bad day. Um, when you're driving through vehicles that are burned out, bodies laying everywhere, corpses all over the place, it's something that um, I've yet to recover from. Uh, to this day, I struggle with nightmares. Uh, I struggle with... Um, I see it in the day, I see it in my sleep, and it's something that I struggle with. Finally, over the last couple of years, I uh, started reaching out and I've, I've reached out to some VA counselors and uh, I'm getting some help with it, but I tried for so many years just to suppress it and deal with it and uh, that has not worked out well. <clears throat> so that is um, pretty much my time before Christ. Um, after I got back from Desert Storm, uh, my wife and I moved to Fort Benning, um, and I was there until uh, I, I did a short stint uh, by myself in Italy for another year, uh, which is where I was medically out-processed because when I was in the service, I had an injury. I broke my back in two places, and uh, I was medically discharged. <clears throat> um, and I was highly upset about that for a long time because I went in the military to be in the military. I went to do a 20-year career. 
so I was at my 10-year mark when I was uh, medically discharged. <clears throat> so um, from that time, um, I went to work, and I worked in a lot of different fields. Um, I uh, was a, an industrial electrician and mechanic, so I worked in a lot of different areas. Uh, went back to school, got my degree as a drafter designer, um, also in electronic engineering technology, and um, thought I was doing pretty good. Um, but I still didn't know the Lord at that time. Um, I was what I consider a full-blown alcoholic at the time. I was a, a high-level working alcoholic. Um, I could drink a case of beer just to get ready to go out. Um, and uh, I spent all of my time that I could with my children and my family, but I did that in the, in the context of they always saw me drinking. They always saw me hanging around my Army buddies um, using inappropriate language. And um, I did both of my boys the disservice uh, by allowing them to be brought up around that and teaching them that. <clears throat> so in 2004, my wife's company relocated um, from Columbus, Georgia, uh, up here to McDonough, Georgia, which is how we uh, landed in this area. And um, my, by that time, my oldest son was a freshman in high school, so uh, he played football. And I met uh, Pastor Allen uh, out on the football field. Both of our sons played ball together at Fayette County High, and uh, he kept nagging me and nagging me about coming to visit their church over that was meeting at the school. Uh, well, it happened to be, uh, I think it was Memorial Day, and they were having a special service, and he was going to be honoring the, uh, the veterans, and he finally uh, talked me into coming over there for that service. And um, we almost didn't go. Well, we woke up that morning, and I'm like, I don't know if we're really going to go. And then I'm like, well, I told the guy I was going to be there. I'm a man of my word. I'm going to be there. We'll go, and you know, he'll leave me alone after that. So um, we went to that service, and when we sat in that service in that school cafeteria, um, the Spirit of the Lord, the only way I can describe it was it, it was like somebody came up behind me and hit me with a two-by-four. And it was a, I don't want to say a, a wake-up call, but it was, this, it was God's Spirit telling me that... Um, I needed to turn around what I was doing. And from that time forward, um, other than being out of town uh, on a vacation, I don't think we've missed a Sunday for any reason. And um, through that, through that one encounter, um, my wife and I decided we were going to join the church. But before we could do that, um, I knew that I had to quit drinking. And I prayed about it, and I asked God to take the desire away from me to drink uh, because I was one of those people that, you know, I couldn't have just one. Um, once I started drinking, I drank till it was all gone. <laughs> and, um, you know, just like the old, you know, the Lay's potato chip, you can't have just one. Um, so I, after praying that and, and meditating on that, I went home. Um, and one day I walked out to my garage and I had a full-size refrigerator full of beer. <clears throat> and I walked out there and I decided this was it. And I took and I poured all of that out, threw it all away. 
And um, I just quit drinking. And that was in 2004. And after that, I, I, I asked to be baptized. And we had a lot of ups and downs about the, the timing of the baptismal. Well, during that time, my oldest son decided that he was going to dedicate his life. And he and I were going to be baptized together. Well, uh, as I was baptized and I came up, pastor turned to me and said, well, Rick, now that you're a Christian, you need to turn around and baptize your son. <clears throat> so I was able, um, I don't want this to drag out to make it sound too long, but long story short, I was, I was given the, the distinct honor of baptizing both of my children. Um, and after my wife saw the change in me and the lifestyle changes that I was making, something that um, it actually upset her at one point because she had begged me for years to change. And um, the fact that I did it so quickly just for that period of time, she felt slighted to a degree, and I can understand that. It makes sense. Um, but she has since understood, you know, what made me change. And because of that, she also dedicated her life, and she got baptized. So through this small ministry here, um, we, uh, my family's been saved and that is no small feat for those of you that know me. Um, so that was my life prior to Christ. Now I'm going to talk about my life after I knew Christ and I turned my life over because when I, when I decided to follow Christ, I knew that I had to be sold out completely. I knew that I had to do everything the right way because I don't like doing things halfway. Um, so I, I jumped into the ministry with all four feet. Um, I served in every in every area that that I could. I you know at that time the the church was still working out of a trailer, um, and we had to unpack the trailer every Sunday, set the church up in the cafeteria, and then break it down. Uh, so every Sunday, and I still remember this. This is 2004 now. Um, I still remember this. 222 chairs every Sunday. Take them out of the trailer, set them up at the end of service, take them back, put them back in the trailer, along with all the audio and visual, video equipment that we had. Uh, so that was one thing that, that we did is that we um, that I uh, fully bought into was the, uh, the servant aspect of ministry, uh, which I think is very important uh, because how can you grow if you don't serve? So as I continue to grow and, and to be part of the ministry, um, I got involved in different ministries, uh, the, uh, the prison ministry where we went in and um, I had a motorcycle at the time and uh, we, uh, rode our motorcycles into different prisons around the country and around the state. And um, I'm sorry, I uh, only went to one prison out of state, but most everything was in Georgia. But uh, we would take our bikes into the yard and we use our bikes to uh, draw in people to talk to us about God. And I, uh, I will say the very first prison event I went to, I was supposed to be with somebody because I was a very new Christian. And I was supposed to be with somebody for the entire day. Well, we got separated, and I wound up uh, in front of a, a man in a cell, um, given the the little speech that we had rehearsed and all that. And 
Um, I'm not very good at that. Uh, I, I'm very good at just talking to people. So we, he and I were talking. Well, he was one of those that um, no matter what you said, he wanted something. He wanted me to give him money. I'm like, look, I'm not here to give you money. I'm here to, to talk to you about salvation. And uh, that set him off. Well, he spent the next 10 minutes cussing me like a sailor. And um, as a testament to what God had done in my life, I was able to walk away and not say a word back to him other than God loves you. Um, later on that day, we were uh, surrounded by some prisoners um, in a group, and we were talking. And to this day, I will never forget that words of encouragement and scripture came out of my mouth that I didn't know. Um, verses from the Bible came out of my mouth that I don't know. I don't know how I got, I don't know where I got them from. I don't know how they came out, but they came out. And I know that that, that is a nothing but divine power of God speaking through me, using what I am to speak to somebody else. And um, I've never lost sight of that. And that's why one of my prayers when I get up and I speak is that, Lord, let nothing that I'm talking about be about me. Let it always be about you. <clears throat> so, um, and I want to emphasize that everything was going great. And as new Christians, for those of you that may be new Christians, this is where I want to go into a different line with you. I want to, I want to speak directly to you, is that I was under the impression, the mistaken impression, that, okay, once I give my life over to God, God's going to handle everything, and everything's going to be all rainbows and unicorns. Um, that is an absolute lie told to us by the devil. That is just an absolute lie. Um, all the struggles and, and turmoil that I had in my life before I was a Christian, I had just as much, if not more, after I became a Christian. And I want to talk about that now. After I became a Christian and I was serving the Lord faithfully, um, I had a, the injury that I had, uh, that I had to be medically discharged from the Army, I wound up having to have major back surgery, and now my entire lumbar region is fused. Um, for the first time in my life, I was literally flat on my back. Uh, I could not work. Uh, that was very hard for me. I've worked my entire adult life. And to be told I couldn't go to work, I couldn't get up and do anything, I couldn't bathe myself, I couldn't do all of those things because the surgery that they did on me was so invasive that um, it took me, I want to say it took me two months to get myself to where I could walk across my living room to the back deck of my house. And it was every day just another step further, another step further, just keep moving. Um, that was very hard. That was something that was very hard to go through. But through a lot of prayer, um, perseverance, and more importantly, the, the love and care of my wife and my church family, I got through that. And I thought, okay, I'm good. I've, I've, gone, through, I've gone through my struggle. Um, fast forward a few years, and um, our pastor at the times uh, suddenly stepped away which was 
was it seven years ago, I think, uh, suddenly stepped away and um, the elder group at the time, uh, they saw fit to install me as the interim pastor while we were looking for a new pastor. Uh, I was in that role for just a few months and uh, I had to go to the doctor because something was wrong with my throat and come to find out I was diagnosed with stage four throat cancer. I had never used a tobacco product a day in my life and I somehow wound up with stage four throat cancer. And that was another punch in the gut because here I am, I'm, I'm serving the Lord, I'm doing what the Lord has called me to do. <clears throat> and it's, um, it's like I, I, I'm being tested at every point. And so here I am and I go to my first consult with my wife, and we, we sit down with my first oncologist. And I tell them, you know, look, I, I'm, I'm not looking for you to dance around anything. I'm not looking for you to sugarcoat it. I need to know what I'm up against. I need to know what to prepare myself for mentally. And um, here's the response that I got. Um, First and foremost, what we're going to do to you is the worst of what we do here. Uh, the treatments that you're going to go through is the worst of what we do here. Um, and know that uh, you need to prepare yourself and make end-of-life decisions because essentially I was given at best a 30% chance of living. Um, so... For the second time in my life, <laughs> I was looking death straight in the face. And uh, it's, a, uh, it's a scary thing. But I did have a peace about me when, once I was able to settle in that I knew that uh, God was going to look out for me through this. I, I knew going in, and I talked to my wife about this, I talked with my family about this, that for some reason I knew I, wasn't, I was going to make it. Um, but I wasn't prepared for what I was gonna, fixing to go through. Um, what I went through was, for lack of a better term for me, was absolutely pure hell on earth. Um, I had radiation therapy every day, chemo once a week for um, almost two months. Um, and for some reason, the, the hardest thing that I had to deal with was <clears throat> they had to put a feeding tube in me, and for some reason that made me break down. I don't know why it was that that of, of everything that they talked about, that one thing was the thing that 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 messed me up. I don't get it, but it just mentally it did. Um, the day I was diagnosed, I weighed three hundred and twenty pounds. Uh, in a six month period, I lost over a hundred pounds. Um, the the radiation therapy um, for almost for almost four months I was completely unable to speak uh, it burned everything in, in my my head and my neck um, I wasn't able to to take anything in my mouth because it was burned so badly um, the chemo drug they used on me I'm now uh, almost 100% deaf in my left ear and I have diminished hearing in my right ear uh, the radiation therapy also has um, uh, my saliva glands don't really work that well 
and my taste buds sometimes work and sometimes don't. Uh, and when I do taste things, they taste much different than what I remember. <laughs> so that's been a, a huge shift in, in, in my life. And um, in the middle of my treatments, um, when it got bad, and I say when it got bad, um, I was sitting there and I was in tears because I could not remember a time when I didn't hurt. Um, the treatments just wreck your body. Um, they wreck your body, they wreck your mind, they wreck your spirit. And uh, I literally was hurting so bad that my wife couldn't hold my hand uh, because that was so painful to me. Um, <clears throat> and through all of this, I, I'll tell you that I, I watched her and I knew that um, everything that I was going through, for some, some way it was, it was harder on her uh, because she wanted to comfort me, but there was nothing she could do. Um, so that was a, that was a hard thing to go, th to go through. Um, but God took me through that. And I, <clears throat> I shared with the, uh, the congregation after that, when I, the first sermon I was able to deliver is that, um, at one point in time when I was having a little pity party in my head is that I always reflected back that everything that I was going through paled in comparison to what Jesus went through on the cross for us. If he could endure that, I could endure this and trust in him because he went through it first for me. So I went through that and I'm like, okay, I've, I've gone through my trials. I'm good, right? Well, no. Um, a lot of you that are watching may know that uh, here recently um, I was going through something very personal. Uh, we had a major upheaval in our family recently. And um, without getting into the, into the nuts and bolts of it, I'll say that um, my relationship with my sons has been severely damaged. Um, they, the kids were living on the property with us that we, that we had bought. Um, everything was going great. They were going to, um, they were going to be uh, planning on building houses out there. Um, it was a dream for my wife and I, and, um, just a big family thing happened. And, uh, through that, um, the boys at this point in time, um, you know, my wife tells me, no, they haven't written me off, but um, neither one of my boys have spoken to me or tried to uh, reach back out to me. I've reached out to them, and they've just written me off in my mind uh, for the better part of six months now. And that was a very hard thing for me to, to come to terms with um, because I love my children more than anything. Uh, my wife and my children are my world. And um, the fact that uh, my boys um, don't want anything to do with me right now is very, very hard for me to deal with personally. Uh, and it forced me into a couple of months of severe depression. And uh, it, was, it was bad at times. 
<clears throat> and um, I had a lot of people here reach out to me, and um, I I know I didn't do it intentionally, but I know I pushed people away because um, when I'm hurt or I'm in pain, um, my natural inclination is I try to climb in a dark hole and heal up. And um, But this wasn't something that I could heal up from. It took a lot of prayer, a lot of patience by my wife. And um, I, I can't say that I've come to terms with it, but I can say that I've turned it over to God and I'm trusting in Him to heal that relationship. And... Um, so that is, that is my testimony. That is where I come from. That is the, the things that I've gone through in my life. And, uh, quite honestly, um, the, uh, the battle trauma that I have, I'm still fighting that to this day. Um, I finally, uh, broke down and reached out to a VA counselor and I'm, uh, a lot of people don't know. And, uh, but, you know, as, as a matter of transparency and what this message is about, uh, I've been in counseling with the VA for the better part of two years now. And uh, they're starting to make some headway in that gray matter between my ears. Um, the, uh, and like I said, the, the, the visions and the, um, the nightmares, um, they're still there. I fight them every day. Um, it makes me, um, to where I don't sleep a lot. Uh, I'm, I'm good if I get four hours sleep a day, I'm doing really good. Um, but the side effects of that is, is, uh, I, uh, as sometimes I'm very short tempered and I think a lot of people know that, uh, that's not a secret to anybody. Um, and I try very hard to fight that because I know it's, it's me. It's not. The situations around me, and I, I, I work very hard to handle those better. Um, so that is the things that I fight and struggle with daily. And um, I'm very, I have to be very conscious about where I'm at, who I'm around. Um, not good with crowds. Uh, even here at church, around my church family. Um, a lot of people notice, you know, and I'll say this so that people understand why I do it. Um, I do not sit up front uh, because I can't have people behind me. Uh, <laughs> uh, even people that I love and trust, you, I, I can't have people behind me. Um, so I always sit in the back with, with my back to a wall. Um, you know, so th these are the things that, that I deal with. Now, I know there's people out there. I know there's, there's people like... You know, the people that are watching me today um, that have had stuff that, you know, that they can't relate to with me. Some of you are probably looking at me and going, that's nothing. You ought to know what I've been through. Like I said, I'm not here to try to, to win the, you know, the Olympics of, of, you know, who had the worst life. I'm just saying that this is my life and these are the struggles that I had. And the struggles that I had before I knew Christ I did not deal with them in the right way. Um, I was an angry, never violent to my family, but um, I would fight at the drop of a hat. Um, I was mean. Um, I was vulgar. 
And that was my life. After I came to know Christ, I had just as much, if not worse, struggles to deal with. But I had a better alternative for healing. I had a better alternative for restoration. I had a better way to do and handle things. And um, so that is, that is my testimony. Uh, that is the things that God has taken and delivered from me. And I can, I can honestly sit here and say that um, as much as I struggle with things in my head, I say this, I've said it before and I'll say it again, that all of my tribulations, all of my struggles, all the things that I've gone through, I don't count those as anything but joy at this point in my life. I know I struggle with it and they hurt sometimes, but I am able to, to trust in God and I'm able to look at other people who are going through something similar and I can say, look, I know what you're going through. I've been there. I've done that. I've bought the t-shirt. Let me show you a better way out. Let me show you how God has taken me through that, how he's taken this load off of my shoulders. And I know I can say that, but I want it to, in closing, I want it to share some scripture with you. And these are just three short passages that sum up what we're talking about or what I'm talking about. And the first one is in 1 Peter <clears throat> chapter 5, verse, uh, verses 10 and 11. And it reads as such, And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered for a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Right here, Peter's telling us that your struggles are, are going to be there, but they're temporary. I know that what I just went through here most recently with my children, um, I felt like my world was ending. I, I just felt like, you know, I, I had nowhere to go. I honestly, at one point in time, felt like I couldn't even pray because I felt like I couldn't hear God's voice. But I prayed. I meditated. And God is restoring me to where I can function again. And that takes us to Psalms. Psalms 34, 18, where it says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed spirit. That is amazing. God is there when we're at our worst. God is there to lift us up when we are in pieces. As it says, he's near the brokenhearted and he saves a crushed spirit. That's what God does to me. He lifts me up. And finally, in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4, verses 16 through 18, and I want to make sure I read this correctly because this to me is very important. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. God is telling that, that no matter what you're dealing with, it may feel like your world is ending. 
But I encourage you, and I'm telling you this from experience, I encourage you, when the people around you reach out to you, grab hold of them. Talk to them. Pray with them. Talk to God. Fall on your knees, fall on your face, and beg God to come in and intervene because His Word says it so clearly right here. His eternal glory outweighs everything. Everything that we're going through is temporary. It may seem like it's going to last forever, but it's temporary. And our life, our lifespan here is mere nanoseconds to eternity. So I pray that hearing what little bit that I've been through in my life and how God has delivered me and taken me to the point where I am now can be an encouragement to some. And I'm, I'm not here to say what you're going through is good, bad, or indifferent. I'm here to say this is what I've gone through, that I got through it strictly off of God's grace, God's mercy in my life, and the struggles that I continue to go through. I work very hard to lay those struggles down to God daily. I work very hard not to pick them back up. For me, that's a very hard thing to do because in my personal life, I'm a control freak. Big shock to some. So with that, uh, I want to close in prayer. I want to thank you for listening to us. I want to thank you for being a part of this ministry. And more importantly, I want to invite you to come see us in person, to come see us and be with us and be a part of our ministry. So with that, let us pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your many blessings in our life. Lord, I personally thank you for every tribulation and and trial that you have taken me through. Lord, I didn't get myself through one thing. Lord, you carried me through each and every one of them. Uh, Lord, you sent your angels here on earth to care for me, my family, my wife, my church family. Lord, I couldn't have made it through the things that I've gone through without them. And Lord, I know that you sent and placed each and every one of them. So Father, I thank you for that. I thank you for every each and every person that's listening today. And Lord, I pray that you can be with them, that you can give them the, the peace, comfort, and joy that they need in their lives. But Lord, it's only going to happen if they trust you. So Lord, I pray that all, all people that are listening, Lord, that they trust you with everything, that they just give themselves up to you. And Lord, I ask all these things and beg all of these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.